0: Hello. Are you guys there? Hey! Uh, yay! I don't. The, the Wi-Fi just dropped here for some reason. It sounds like a personal problem.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Take that. So, anywho, Jesus. <laughs> okay, let's start. Let's <laughs> start from. Uh, let me. Let's start from the top. So, uh, right now, Ken. You have decided you were living comfortably in suburbia, and you made a decision. You and your wife, after coming out of a silent retreat and watching a terrible, terrible movie called Exodus <laughs> God, of Gods and Kings, that somehow that gave you a religious epiphany, even though it was the most irreligious movie ever. Just kidding, For but right. I know it. I'm just kidding. But um, to now, you are serving in Indian in an uh, in a, a mission called the St. Paul Mission, correct? Uh huh. And you have three churches. Uh, You have a priest who's in retirement and a priest who's like the sacramental minister?
1: No, so uh, the sacramental minister is kind of a new priest, so a sacramental priest uh, recently ordained a year and a half, and then a canonical pastor. So a canonical pastor is, um, again, like in canon law, like when you have a parish life coordinator, you have to have a priest Officially in charge of the church, even if he lives at a great distance um, and actually has doesn't have a lot of involvement with the churches, so the canonical pastor is kind of like a yeah. yeah.
0: Okay, makes sense, makes sense. So, um, moving forward with that, so you serve at a community where four thousand people, seventy five percent poverty, and you're trying to bring the gospel of Christ into these people's lives, but not just. To teach them about the Catholic faith, you're trying to improve their life, right? I mean, like you're you're confronting the poverty. You know, helping. I you know, I read on your website, you know, a testimony of a mom who's saying that you help them, uh, that the mission helped them, you know, improve her life as a mother and all that stuff.
1: Mm-hmm. Could you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, yeah, I think first and foremost, like our our kind of main mission is to try to bring a sense of purpose and mission to the people. I think that's one of the biggest problems on the reservation is that people don't have a sense of a purpose uh, or mission or even a sense of their own personal worth and dignity. So I really see our kind of first kind of step in what we would like to achieve is to um, help people understand their kind of full dignity and purpose um, in life. And um, as you might imagine, that might be hard for a Native American whose culture has been, you know, completely decimated and, um, you know, in a lot of ways taken away from them. And uh, and then added on top of that, the utter ruralness of where we are in Montana um, leads to a lot of, um, you know, what is my life worth? You know, if I'm just here on this reservation and, um, you know, there's no jobs for me, there's no work for me. Um, my experience of towns outside the reservation are heavy with racism and, um, you know, ill will towards native Americans. Like, what does my life mean? What is my life worth? Hence the, you know, the 10 times the, uh, national average of suicide on the reservation. So, Wow.
2: How do you, like, where do you even start, uh, when you and your wife first arrived there? Like, what yeah. was the first thing that you all did? The first thing that we all did was, uh,
1: um, clean the rectory that we live in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't think that the Jesuits... That Those do, Jesuits love to party. Right? <laughs> I don't think they uh, maybe cleaned once in like 30 years. So <laughs> it, was oh, kinda, geez. it was just kind of dirty. Um, but seriously, um, one of the first things that we did was uh, um, we tried to, with, with Father Garrett, our, our sacramental, uh, sacramental minister, we tried to infuse a sense of um, reverence and um, I would say like wonder, mystery and awe back into the mass uh, and into liturgical things on the reservation to let people know that we were serious about um, our faith and serious about, you know, the mass being something important. Um, So that's kind of where
2: we we first started out. How did that go?
1: It actually went really well. Um, Like I said, when we first showed up to the reservation at St. Paul's, um, there was maybe 12 people coming to Mass, and now I would say we average 40 um, a Sunday, um, with the high being one weekend we had over 70 people show up to Mass. Oh, wow. Which, according to locals, hadn't happened in decades. So um, the Native Americans really, uh, at least on our reservation, I would say the majority of them are more attracted to intentional reverent um, worship um, that is highly um, ritualized and spiritualized.
0: What were the Jesuit missionaries doing there beforehand that, I mean, were they not engaging the people? Were they, was it just the culture Uh, of, of poverty or were they just ignoring it and this was a post
1: and whatever? No, I think it's. It was a, a matter of focus. So I would say what I've come to discover by reading the history of the reservation is that the, the first group of churchmen that kind of came into the reservation were very um, orthodox and very serious about the faith and, you know, catechesis and um, teaching people the faith. So, you know, basically like pre nineteen sixty, so pre-Vatican II. However, while the catechesis was strong, the emphasis of worship was strong. um, It was oftentimes maybe done with force, and it was done with a kind of, um, I would say, violence. And so good catechesis, not so loving, right? Um, Or at least loving in a really harsh sort of way.
0: What do you mean by by violence? You mean like corporal punishment type things?
1: Yeah, I would say, well, okay, so the history of our reservation would be you know the government. There was a um, what's called the Religious Allocation Act. So that's when our government assigned specific denominations to reservations, like saying, "Okay, you guys are going to be Baptists now. You guys are Methodists. You guys are Catholics." Wow. You know? Yeah, and so the church came in, the Catholic Church, in our reservation, uh, and then you know, out of the instruction of the government, um, literally what happened was, is the government and the church came in and they. Basically, kidnapped everyone's kids and forced them into boarding school, and um, to start, you know, basically assimilating them. So that—that's the kind of violence, you know. I was saying, like, you know, against your will, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take your children from you and, you know, force them to, you know,
2: kind of assimilate.
1: What, so th- what was that called? What was that called? A, a religious allocation act.
2: Wow, that's yeah. I've never heard of that before.
1: Yeah. So um, that's what I would. Classifies like you know violence. Um, Yeah. So then, what happens is is kind of our predecessors um, come into the reservation and Vatican II happens and um, the focused kind of change. So our predecessors, I say, would say, were really good at walking. With people through their grief and through their sadness. Uh, And they were really good at loving the people um, and being kind and being gentle and being more Christ like in that way. However, I would say they did that at the expense of orthodoxy. So it was, you know, we're just going to be kind of nice and non confrontational and we're not going to force anything on anybody, but we're also not really going to teach the faith. And so. We've had people on our reservation tell us that you have to understand. So, Native Americans have this inherent distrust of white people for good reason. We've lied to them and taken advantage of them for a long time. So, imagine this church comes in, priests come in, and they say, Hey, we have the truth. This is how you worship God, right? To Native Americans, God doesn't change. And then, so they're forced, you know, into into boarding schools, into learning the faith. But it's actually easy for them, as was told by one of the spiritual elders in our community. It was easy for Indians to be Catholics. There's so many um, similarities as far as spirituality goes. And, um, And so they learn, and they accept. And it was, you know, so all of a sudden, you know, the Catholics are like, this is the way. You know, this is the truth. This is the way. And then Vatican II happens, and everything changes. And so, to the Native American, they were kind of like, uh, "So you guys lied to us. You're just liars, like you're, you're liars like everybody else." Yeah, you know, you said this was important, and now you're saying it's not important anymore. And so, you know, we're going to lose interest. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I am not, I am not some like crazy traditionalist who thinks like the Latin Mass should be, you know, like the standard for everything. I'm I'm not that at all. I'm just. Objectively talking about what I've noticed sure, on our yeah. on our reservation, um, and so I think, Laura and I, what we would like to do is to be the balance, to be the true sense of orthodoxy. We would like to um, install the faith, catechize, teach the faith, be orthodox, faithful to the magisterium, um, and be loving, kind. And and like I think you can do both. It doesn't have to be one or the other. You can wear a cassock and be a nice guy. <laughs> <You>
2: know, so, <laughs> yeah, uh, it yeah. doesn't have to be one or the other. Part of me, if I'm wrong about this, you guys have have like actually gone back. I don't know any like of these terms uh, to doing the pre-Vatican II Mass, right?
1: No, um, we still do all, all, our, all our masses are in the extraordinary form. Um, okay, in the ordinary form, sorry. Um, so we've just tried to make those, you know, more reverent, um, in the future, um, our priest is, uh, capable of doing the Latin mass. So it is something that we'll, we'll slowly kind of reintroduce, you know, doing it once a month or once every so often and stuff like that. But, uh, um, you know, when you talk about the Latin mass, um, that, uh, causes all sorts of, um, Political situations within dioceses.
2: And yeah. uh, it's something kind of um, touchy with a lot of people, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, kind of walk us into what your average day is like. <laughs> My average day is completely spontaneous. Um, We're just like, odd ah, day.
1: Yeah, sure. So, um, we wake up, and obviously, it's. I would say one of the things that was sorely neglected by our predecessors was the actual administration of the parishes, so like fundraising and um, taking care of things from a business aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, and that takes a lot of work. You know, you think of your an average parish, like it usually has somewhat of a staff. Well, we don't have any staff, so Laura and I are the bookkeepers. Laura and I are, you know, the people that make all the advertising. Um, we're the ones that plan events, Um, We're the directors of religious education. um, We're the baptismal prep people, you know, like everything. So a bulk majority of our day is um, spent in, um, you know, administering the parishes from just kind of all of the logistical stuff. Uh, In between there, there will always be um, stuff that happens throughout the day, whether it's people coming up to the rectory, wanting to pray, wanting to take pledges from using meth or, or alcohol. Um and then, of course, we have um I could take communion to the to the homebound of the sick uh, I visit the prison every saturday um and um generally, just kind of you know being with people and walking with people, so each day is different um and you can't really ever fully plan out a day because you never know who's going to show up mm-hmm. at your door uh or
2: you know have a funeral to plan um or you know, things like that. So Yeah. So we're like both both of me and and Gomer, we would like work in the church doing all this like stuff and um we each have our own like niche and it can be pretty overwhelming at times. And by and by at times I mean all the time. And you're doing like all the works of mercy, all this stuff. How like how do you bear that? Yeah, it's I'm not gonna lie, look, it's uh, it's hard. Um it's simply, uh,
1: this experience has been the hardest experience um, of my entire life. There is a, a very palpable, literal, like, spiritual oppression on the reservation, and um, that's constantly, like, you know, I hate to get all weird here, but it's like a darkness that's constantly yeah. calling you to, to succumb to it. Um, So how do I bear it? I bear it with the grace of God. You know, like, uh, I bear it by... Um, trying to have the best prayer life, uh, possible, um, talking to people, spiritual directors and friends and, uh, family, but really it's, um, it's my, my relationship with God that allows me to bear it. So, um, you know, so in the same way, um, somebody asked me the other day, well, what is it like? How does it feel? And I said, well, uh, you could, you know, open up a drawer stick your hand in it and uh, close it hard about five times and that's kind of how it feels (laughs) Uh, um, but in that there is this deep and pervasive feeling of purpose and consolation that is present that this is exactly where we're supposed to be um, and that uh, everything in the end really is gonna be okay and that I am literally on my path to sanctification and that God is in control. And um so it really is by grace that um and that that I think we're we're able to do this and uh um I just feel blessed and, and, and honored and and then I also have uh um I feel like I have a very specific purpose Um, and being on the reservation, and I think Native American people have a very specific purpose uh, in God's plan um, for humanity and stuff like that, and so that helps a little bit too, that I have kind of like a big goal, a a big
2: vision for what it is that I'm doing here. Sure. When I first heard about all the work that you were all doing out there, I was just really blown away by the idea Like you're in the mess that Pope Francis is talking about, sure, and just how hard that you know has to be because I, I do think that it's you know like really easy to just kind of s- like always look on the bright side, which is good, but also like to you know just acknowledge the fact that like yeah, this is actually really really hard, but good stuff is going to come out of this, you know, like you said, like th- this is currently your path to sanctification, and that's. Yeah can be, I mean, that is a horrible, it's not like, beautiful thing, because yeah. that's hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. just... Oh, cool. So, like, what do you, like, what... So, I'm like this, I'm like your average white um, American Catholic who lives out Luke, in Luke, the Luke, Luke,
0: Luke, Luke, there is nothing average about you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's true, that's true. <laughs> like, what can I do? Because, like, all this, because, I mean, the uh type of world you are de- the you are de- describing is completely foreign uh, to me mm-hmm. like what can i even do about that
1: yeah and isn't that something isn't that something that that's completely foreign to you except it's in your backyard you know there are uh you know hundreds of reservations in this country um and hundreds of thousands of native americans and i think one of the responses from my friends when they knew that I was doing this, they literally said to me, I I thought they were all dead. You know, um, they're, (laughs) they're the fastest growing population in the United States. Um, and most people don't, don't give it a thought. I mean, there's this utter desolation and poverty in our backyard. And yeah, when I think about being a missionary, we tend to, to think, Oh, I have to leave the country to do that. um, what can you do is, I think you can educate yourself uh, about the plight of the Native American, um, and um, I think that's the first step. It's just being aware of just knowing that this is in your own country, and this is why Christ tells us that the body has to be unified, that the body of Christ needs to be unified, and it's hard. I personally believe for us as our church here in America, it's hard for the American church, it's hard for our country to reach its potential when an entire limb of its body is cut off, and that would be the Native American. Um, and just to give you an idea, like, the oppression doesn't hasn't fully stopped, so just— you know seven months ago in Arizona, the Navajo had a bunch of land uh the government found um you know uh, uh, a source of that they could uh cultivate I think it was like I can't remember what it was now copper I think it was and um, you know uh Senator McCain in Arizona just said, oh it, put it in a in a defense spending bill uh so it was pork right which is like i'm gonna put something else in here that doesn't actually belong and you mm-hmm. know took away thousands of acres of land from the navajo in order to sell it to the copper mining industries
2: um and that just happened you know seven months ago oh, so gosh. You know, it, it still happens right it's yeah i mean like honestly it's like didn't we watch dances with wolves like this is bad have, have <laughs> we, we learned, learned nothing? all kind of yeah, I mean, like, I mean, you know, that's a really dumb like joke, but it just like it yeah. blows my mind because I would just I would assume that as a people, we would all go, yeah, that was horrible. Let's not do that. Right. Like, we all agree. Right. Let's not do that. Like, we're all all good, Right. Right? Yes. Like, and then it, to like, you know, hear that that happened really does you know, like it sickens me because that's. Well, that's horrible. Yeah. So,
1: uh, you yeah, know, I think. Education is a good way to to start. Um, just realizing that they exist um, and that they're here, um, and how weird that must be to be surrounded by the the culture that conquered you. Um, and um, and then from there, I would say the next step is to visit a reservation. You know, just go see what it's like. You know, uh, experience being in a third world country in your own country. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and then there's, you know, other ways to help, obviously there's monetary ways to help, but I think more importantly than monetary ways are, um, the physical help, you know, um, the reality is, is that most reservations for the church have been dumping grounds for, um, problematic priests. Um, you know, so if father so-and-so had a drinking problem or father so-and-so had a problem touching, you know children or whatever it's like well just send them to a reservation no one cares <laughs> and uh that's an unfortunate reality so um they they need help so any kind of help you could get you know um and there are you know the biggest reservation is the navajo reservation down in um you know the diocese of gallup that mm-hmm. is pretty much pretty much one big gigantic reservation um the most impoverished reservation is pine ridge in south dakota um that has the worst um poverty um, which is also a rather large reservation and here in montana we
2: have um one two three four five six we have six six or seven reservations i um i spent uh probably about a a um a weekend out in out um in Gallup, uh, of her father Josh's, when he became a deacon, oh, nice. and so then like Aaron, uh, took us out to, to um, took by us, I mean me, um, out to see the parts, of the of the Auschwitz reservation, and I, you know, we probably spent like two hours driving around, and to be honest, I was horrified. Mm-hmm. Just, I mean, it really is third world poverty, because I, I, I mean, I haven't I haven't seen anything like that before in my entire life it was uh yeah. so um we have a we have a lot of youth ministers who um are listeners would yeah. it be a would would it be a good a, a good idea for them to take their teens on a mission trip out to a reservation or is it or is that like not always uh, go over well
1: yeah um
2: i think there there are two
1: different theories here so i think it would be important for somebody to, to consider things. So obviously we all, we all want to help. Um, however, try to put yourselves in the shoes of, of the people on the reservation. So, um, here are a group of these, these white people that come to our reservation and they maybe build us a house or give us some money or give us some free services or, you know, whatever it is. Um, I think one of, one of the things that offends a lot I'm not going to say I can't speak for all Native Americans, obviously, just um, but that offends a lot of Native Americans is this concept of, I'm going to come and spiritually benefit off of your poverty. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to come into your life and then I'm going to be spiritually fulfilled in helping you because you're less fortunate than I am, um, but then I'm just going to leave. And I'm probably just going to forget about you. Um, So I think a lot of Native Americans feel, um, you know, hurt or taken advantage of. Like, you don't really care. You're just here to get some kind of spiritual high off of the fact of off of my suffering. Um, So I think for youth groups, the best thing that they could do is not to come to do uh like a lot of youth groups might do like uh some kind of like oh I'm gonna build a house or I'm gonna give something materially. I yeah. think what would be beneficial is for like youth groups to come in to like run a Bible camp. You know, like hey, we're gonna do a Bible camp for a week. Um as long as groups were coming in specifically to to teach the faith and not necessarily give material handouts or material assistance. Um I actually think that that would be most beneficial. Um, So I do think that there are ways that people won't be offended um, in doing that. But one Mm -hmm. has to, um, you know, take that to prayer and to understand that, uh, um, you know, what is it that I'm doing here? You know, why do I want to go help these people? And what does help really look like? Is it simply dipping my foot into their world and then just leaving and going back to my world and forgetting about it, or is help, you know, walking with the broken and sacrificing comfort in your own life in order to be with those who suffer. Mm -hmm. Um, I think those are big questions um, that people should ask themselves and I don't pretend to have all the answers, but I think they are questions worth asking.
2: Absolutely. And one of the ideas that that you had hit on earlier that is just really hitting me is is the idea that, like, these like Native Americans, they basically have to live in a conquered world, you know, in a, in a place that was theirs that isn't theirs anymore. And I just really haven't thought of it like that before. Is that still a big factor with a lot of Native Americans? Yeah, I would definitely say in my experience it is. I mean, you have to
1: put it in perspective. These kinds of things or the genocide that happened to them is only like hundred and fifty years old you know mm-hmm. it's it, it in the grand scheme of things it hasn't been that long and um uh so I think it's it's a sensitivity and we know psychologically of course Luke you know that my former trade was being you know a therapist so psycho- you know psychologically there is such thing as cultural trauma um and um so you know I definitely think it still plays, um, a factor. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah, just in the, the grand scheme of things, it hasn't been that long since that's, it's happened, uh, just, you know, you know, basically three or four generations.
0: When we talk, when we talk about the, your average life, you know, day in the life, what is a day in the life like for them? You know, um, yeah <laughs> in, in my mind right we still focus on ourselves right in my <laughs> mind um one of the <laughs> no one of the <laughs> things that i think of is um you know what do you do in an economy where the overwhelming majority don't have jobs and this is an increasing problem that so many people aren't paying attention to um in the yeah. world like things like like isis uh things like uh al-shabab in um where mogadishu is uh all of these things, like these things grew out uh, in Somalia. Um, they grew out of of like dire situations where young people couldn 't find jobs for yeah. years and years and um, and so they channeled their anger instead of to drink because you know obviously Islam is a teetotal religion but um, mm-hmm. so instead of turning it towards drink, they turned it towards violence and then you know and they obviously you know when you get especially in the rhetoric of occupied lands right that notion of you know being conquered by a foreign power yeah the violence kind of became the centering thing this drive and now you're seeing Mm -hmm. you know al-qaeda isis all this stuff but when you turn to the native American, it's 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 like you literally find the exact opposite reaction it's instead of hurting other people it's this massive inward turn and i think probably because it wasn't just they were cut off but that they were actually victims of a genocide yeah. it's like oh here's your beautiful land well we're gonna take all of it you know it's like mm-hmm. here's a place where we're gonna move you to actually we're gonna take some of that you know <laughs> like like this yeah. con- this constant mm-hmm. sense of powerlessness yeah i mean like i, I don't know to me it, it the whole deal is so complex absolutely and well you, Laird. <laughs> yeah and you just want to you want to rip your hair out like like who who do we like u.s government all of this stuff people of power people of privilege like are they reduced to being the casino casino operators of you know through like Oklahoma like that's where I'm from Oklahoma right. and yeah. you you know you drive you know you're on an Indian reservation when you're coming up to you know another casino and another casino and um, you know and it's 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 dangerous right like all of these things is I, like I don't you know can they not go back to farming and then you know like what 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 can happen economically you know what I mean
1: I don't know yeah. No, I mean, there's there's so many questions there, Gomer. I mean, uh, and you're right. I mean, the dysfunction is multi layered, and there are probably some aspects of it us as you know, kind of like white Europeans would never fully understand. But uh, um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, the thing that I'll take away is like for for our tribes, and probably for the tribes in Oklahoma, because they're prairie tribes as well too. Like. People often say that they'll be like, "Oh, why don't they just farm or ranch?" Well, they never did that. (laughs) You know, like (laughs) they weren't farmers or ranchers. You know, they Mm -hmm. they they were nomads. You know, they they wandered around and followed the buffalo uh, and lived off the land, and and, you know, in that sort of way. Um, So again, like that, even that's like, "Oh, well, why don't you do this?" You know, thing that you know you were never accustomed to. Um, You're definitely hit the nail on the head kind of with, like, the, the, the self, like, it turning inward. Um, there's definitely kind of like a, I, I would feel like, like a cultural depression. So you asked about the average day. Um, I think for a lot of people on the reservation, uh, an average day is um, waking up, um, eating crappy government uh, commodity food, uh, and watching TV. That's it. Um, what
0: does discipleship look like for a committed uh, Native American at, um, at your place, at St. Paul's Missions? What, what, is, what is someone who is sold out for their faith, what does that look like?
1: Yeah. Um, I think it, it looks like somebody who is um, willing to get their hands dirty, so to speak. It's somebody who's willing to uh, mourn with people. Um, it's somebody who's willing to to walk inside someone's home and to understand that uh um, there's probably some kind of uh, uh abuse or um you know de- depression or running into somebody who's drunk or high and being able to console them and to be open to um, uh, you know have a conversation with them um, it also looks like uh, somebody who um yeah, I guess, in a sense, it's just a presence a presence for other people um, somebody who's dedicated to um, helping out with you know the daily functionings of of the church um, and somebody who's willing to pray i say first and foremost uh, the dedicated Catholics on the reservation are are literally prayer warriors i mean they're they're people that that pray and they take that very seriously and uh there's a very strong devotion to the rosary on the reservation and um, even that's the thing about the native people that I've noticed anyway, it um, doesn't matter how drunk or high, um, a person that, you know, that I've met, um, people are open. People are open to the supernatural realities of the world. People are open to prayer. Um, people believe in God. They believe in a higher power. They believe in a supernatural reality, uh, which I think is something, that's actually a benefit to maybe kind of your typical um, unchurched young adults in in cities and stuff like that. I mean, they really are aware of that God is a, is a real thing and, 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 you know, has a presence in their lives.
0: Yeah. It's like uh, average Americans are bored with the idea of God because they're consumed by consumerism, you know, or materialism. And it's almost like materialism has consumed an entire people. And yet they're still open to God. Right. Like, yep. the you know, I, I think that's so fascinating. And this open to the spirituality, uh, open to the spiritual world, spiritual life, um, open to the great spirit and all that stuff. This notion yeah. of God is is still present, uh, still moving, still active. Um, do you guys ever have like parish missions or, you know, anything along those lines?
1: Well, we're pretty, we're still pretty new, you know, being only here for, for seven months. So right, right, we're right, definitely right. in the process of uh, um, developing those kinds of things um, and kind of, you know, for the first time in a long time, bringing back um, events and actually doing things in the community and really trying to make the church kind of a, a center of of uh, activity and stuff like that. Um so, um, we haven't had anything specifically organized as far as like a parish mission goes, but that's certainly on our docket. Sure.
0: And how far are you guys from Denver? From Denver? Yeah. Are you, I can't uh, remember, I can't remember where this is located. Of my brain. Yeah. I we're, went through, I was reading your website so much and then I was it's like, okay. wait, where is
1: it? <laughs> we're, we're an hour and a half South of the Canadian border. Oh, oh that's right. You're in Montana. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. We're, my bad. My bad. Middle of nowhere, Montana. Middle
0: of nowhere, Montana. <laughs> yeah. 4, our, grocery store, our grocery store is an hour and 20 minutes away. <laughs> I've been there. It's tough, and it's yeah. hard. <laughs> but yeah, Just but I mean, that's an important statistic, but where's
1: target? <laughs> target is in Billings, and that is uh, three hours. Three hours away.
0: Don't get me started about Billings. Ugh. <laughs> I've been kicked out of more bars and Billings than
1: I care to account. <laughs> just kidding. But now, you know, I'm thinking about going to Billings and using the women's bathroom in Target. so. Yeah.
0: Boom. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Luke hates you. You're no longer invited to Luke's
2: family dinner. That's not what I meant. I'm we had kidding. this one episode where I may have kind of got off the handle about some things and said something I probably should not have said. Blah, blah, blah. What? you listen just because i called all of our friends assholes and questioned their catholicism doesn't that much
0: so my uh what what would you say is your charism since you are a a parish um oh what do you call parish administrator life coordinator parish life coordinator would you do you have a charism of administration do you operate like do you feel like god has gifted you with that are are you more pastoral do you do you want
1: the one on one do you like evangelizing think, uh,
0: teaching What's
1: the yeah absolutely um I think my wife and I work in a very good team um I would definitely say my wife's charism is administration she's really good at that stuff um and my charism is definitely um in teaching preaching pastoral kind of one on one let's get down and dirty into you know the cracks in your heart that no one else knows about and uh uh, let's talk about the kind of deep existential things of, of life and whatnot. So, I'm definitely more the, the extroverted, free spirited, pastoral kind of guy. And uh, my wife is much more um, attuned to, she's the financial manager of everything. So, gotcha. Gotcha. She runs my money too. So,
0: <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I, you know, whenever I um, get in contact with groups that are different than mine you know, a uh, typical suburban parishes and whatnot that I, that I work at, um, and that I do ministry to, uh, I've been really super lucky to get in contact with certain people that do ministries that are outside my comfort zone. My comfort zone is a parish filled with young adults and young people in, in a suburban sure. big youth ministries, you know, wealthier parishes. But I've done mit- parish missions at churches with almost entirely elderly people, um, Parish mission in churches with, you know, like 40 is considered, uh, you know, a crowd. Um, whereas at my church, we have, you know, uh, 1,200 people seats in our church, you know, like, and so we have 700 people in our youth group. So it's like the, this notion of something that's very different to me. And then going doing rural missions and trying to be a part of that. What would you look for in bringing in someone from the outside to do um, a parish mission? Because, I mean, if you were to bring in someone from the outside, uh, mm-hmm. Like obviously, someone like me is so clueless as to the heart of the people and what their everyday yeah. experience is, and they would you know they would need a lot of a lot of uh, holy spirit there to to kind of get in touch with and really hit the the notes of you know to bring people into conversion and reform their life and but not just morally but like know god um, sure. in the, in this context in the con you know, obviously you know they do have uh, a connection with God. But, you know, you know what I mean? Like, what, how would you help someone or like, what would you look for in someone coming to preach the gospel in union with you, but isn't there all the time?
1: Sure. Yeah, I would just look for um, somebody who um, I think is actually willing to listen uh, first before um, actually speaking. Uh, I think one of the first steps would be I would look for somebody who's willing and able to to be present in the middle of dysfunction and chaos. Um, Somebody who is, um, um, yeah, just kind of willing to observe. Um, And uh, that's been tough for me um, to do that. Um, But that was something that was kind of explained to me when I first got there. Like, listen, these people don't trust very easy. Um, You're an outsider. You're basically in a different country. Um, basically, shut up and just listen. Yeah, and uh, earn the right let them get earn knowing. It. Yeah, absolutely. And um, so, yeah, I mean, outside of that, I would also look for yeah somebody that could talk about God um, in a way that um, would be affirming and upholding of people's dignity. So not just necessarily like theological kind of like catechesis, but you know, kind of that, you know, you are um, a son of God, and that means something super special. You know, you are super special. You have a purpose. So getting back to what I think is the primary problem with them not having a sense of identity uh, and a sense of purpose. And so somebody that could talk about how by just being a creation of God, you have a sense of purpose and making that attractive. Wow. That's also identity.
0: Purpose, not so much. Uh, this is the Baltimore Catechism. Uh, although right. that, I mean, I, I mean, let's be honest. So, although the Baltimore has Catechism its it has its place, right, it, and it even starts off with what is the meaning and purpose of life—to uh, know, love, and serve God in this life, so we can be happy with Him in the next. But when we—that I think that's so fascinating because restoring someone's dignity that culturally, systematically has had that dignity robbed from them. That is okay, and you know what Luke? this actually reminds me of that propaganda lyric where he's talking he's a rap a Christian rapper and he's talking about what do black culture or him as a black man envy about white people, and he says the fact that you, he essentially i can 't remember exactly how it goes, but he's essentially saying the fact that you 've always been a person, like you have a, a sense of personhood mm-hmm. um, you know and and that notion of like grounding someone like you need to remind people that they are worth something, how terrifying a situation is that you know uh so you have an incredibly difficult um and beautiful mission ahead of you i uh, i know that we wish you nothing but the best we need to do something to support your mission as uh our listeners here um what do you think we can do i mean like uh obviously we're all millionaires so we're going to take care of you but uh <laughs> work for the church just that catching foxes bumpus as you call it yeah but like honestly like let's say we could sum up 50 listeners at least 50 listeners to do something uh pray uh, what, what what would that be
1: yeah um i think prayer is huge and like i uh said to luke earlier i think um just take some time uh out of your day or out of your week and um learn about modern native americans um and what's going on on reservations you know obviously feel free to to visit our website and you know do what you can whether that's you know giving something monetary or saying hey i'd like to come for a visit and hang out for a while um, um that's something that we, we love visitors so, so anybody who's willing to come
0: up and visit it's fine so luke do you think the first catching foxes conference should be held on uh hell <laughs> in st paul mission
2: Exactly. There you because go. While well, well, we, uh, well, we use your land to do our conference really, really quick. Yeah.
0: Yeah, we're, we're going to keep mind. taking We're going to keep taking it. That's cool.
2: <laughs> well, Actually, could we use your tank. guys'
0: house? Could you guys <laughs> leave for the day so we can set up our – we got a lot of equipment we need to bring in. I mean, in.
2: if you want to sit in the audience, that's, that'd be great. If you want to be like Phil or something. <laughs> um, so I, I, I want to take a really – hard left turn and we only have probably about a quarter of of an hour left and and if like there's stuff that you can't really talk about it's fine but I just kind of wanted to like hit on what you did out in Denver cuz it was pretty amazing with sure. all your counseling stuff and just like how and like how that works so could could you like so could you just kind of explain that pretty quickly for all the listeners yeah absolutely so um
1: I lived in Colorado for like 25 years and um I was uh in my younger days um a bit uh you know sex drugs and rock and roll and um had my own problems with depression and drug abuse and um came back to the faith you know around 25 And then I went to seminary um, and was there for a year and left seminary, and then I went to grad school and got a master's degree in counseling. And uh, at that time, uh, I noticed a need within the church in Denver for, like, good, authentic Catholic kind of centered counseling. Um, And so um, I opened up um, what is still known today as uh, St. Raphael's Counseling uh, in Denver. and. Uh, I think it was like three or four months into that, I took on a business partner, uh, Dr. James Langley, uh, who's now the full owner of the business because I sold um, my half of the business to him in order to come up to Montana. And, um, yeah, so that's what I did. I ran a private practice, a private Catholic practice for close to seven years, um, helping, um, you know, individuals and couples and and families uh, work through
2: life issues. And— from uh from like what I under from what I under from what I um have like heard from all that is that you guys really only you guys only really charged what anyone could uh, could afford. It, yeah, you know, we like, did
1: everything. We did everything on a sliding scale.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, so when, so uh, I'm sorry. when I first started out, you know, I I definitely I saw anybody for for anything as the years went on and stuff like that, you know, I uh um the the Lord really provided for me. Um uh I never kind of let that go. I think a lot of therapists who even work on a sliding scale will only slide down so far. Um yeah, there's all sorts of reasons why, you know, I didn't um that I wanted to get out of the counseling business. And um you know one of them was uh um, yeah a pervasive lack of charity on um, mm um colleagues not necessarily at uh at, at my counseling practice but uh um, yeah so I definitely um, tried to you know I didn't want to be what I feel like a lot of counselors become which is basically a counselor for the rich and um, yeah. and uh yeah so yeah I was very intentional about
2: uh, being on a sliding scale and helping anybody out how was the a response to that like when when you've heard now, like not from any of uh of like your colleagues but but it's from uh like Catholics who needed counseling yeah. because I don't know if there's like because I don't think there's as much of a stigma attached to that as you know like there was in the past or so but I think it's still mm-hmm. kind of there
1: oh it's definitely there I mean it's you're right though I mean it's gotten a lot better than than it has been for sure uh, it's still fairly prevalent. Um, uh, an old mentor of mine once said when I was first starting out, uh, she said, Ken, um, just so you know, um, Catholics won't trust you because you're a psychologist, uh, and other psychologists won't trust you because you're Catholic. <laughs> um, and, uh, th- there was definitely some truth to that. Um, but all in all, um, you know, St. Raphael's has really grown. You know, I started in uh, a single room uh, with, you know, just me. And I think uh, right now, currently there's three locations and seven therapists that are working at St. Raphael's. Um, uh, I think when I left, there were six therapists, five or six, uh, three locations. So um, the response has been really great. And it's really great to know that in Denver, when somebody thinks of sending a Catholic or, you know, a priest or whatever, thinks of sending somebody to therapy, they they think of St. Raphael's or, um,
2: you know, Catholic charities. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was it was because um, just I mean, it, I I'm pretty sure that like a whole bunch of our listeners all know that, like, I don't like Denver. You, you have a pretty well, it was um, healthy, uh, young adult Catholic scene there. And it was like the place where everyone was like, yeah, you should probably go because we're all, we're all there anyways, you know, or or like, like everyone, you know, everyone either had gone or had a really close friend who was, you know, currently going. And it's, I, I think it's tremendously important, especially with our culture of death, that people go to counseling if they feel like they need it. I, I, I think it's like, Really, really important, actually. Oh, it's super important. It's actually, you know, there's one
1: path that St. Teresa Avila says that the human being should never depart from, and that's the path of self-knowledge. And so a part of that uh, gaining self-knowledge and self-insight into yourself um, is talking with somebody else. And, you know, so um, counseling, spiritual direction, things of that nature. I, I personally think every single human being, let alone Catholic, uh, should be involved in. Um, just because it's um as Saint Teresa of Avila says again, you know, if if you have yourself uh as your own spiritual director, well I hate to tell you but your spiritual director's a fool, you know. And uh <laughs> um, it's just always good to have people to to talk about deep things with, you know, the hard questions, mm-hmm. who am I? Why am I here? What are my gifts? What are my talents? why do I struggle with this? And uh, I think it's absolutely essential to a spiritual life. It's absolutely essential to sanctification. So
2: Ken, this has been awesome. Thank well, you very much. Uh, thank you guys for the, the platform and the voice. It's great. God bless you. Well, really um, what, what
1: is your website again? Sure.
2: It's org. Cool. I already got it going. Awesome. Where are we, Gomer? So happy you asked. Uh,
0: you are <laughs> at the Luke V. I'm at the, at lay evangelist and you can find at us and at Andy Gomer. Thank you. Uh, you can find us um, com slash catching foxes. That's the home for the podcast. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash catching foxes podcast. It's great. We also have Twitters and all that other stuff. Um, but, uh, ladies and gentlemen, in the show notes, we're going to try to compile some simple resources for you to find out more, number one, about St. Paul Missions. they get got a pretty decent website. Very proud to see that. Um, so, we'll get stpaulmission.org up there. Um, Natives Against John McCain is talking about the, uh, the confiscation of... Um, it's uh, Apache lands. I just read this brief article that said, the, you know, they took their their the acorn lands where they do this, you know, like all these like sacred prayers and all this stuff. They confiscated the lands for their where their women do their the girls become women kind of thing. And said so the one part of their land that they didn't confiscate was called the Apache Leap, where after the confiscation happened and the reservation stuff happened, that's where they would jump to their deaths. And it's like this like sick Jeez. twisted thing. So um, we'll have just articles, information, and uh, Kenneth. If there's anything you want to send our way that you have, um, sure. Just let us know. I already have your your wonderful website. So um, yeah, thank everyone for listening. Keep them in your prayers. We'll come up with something as a community to to, to remember the mission and to keep you all in our prayers and, and just pray for the the healing and the restoration of dignity and hope going forward.
1: Amen. Thank you, guys.